Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Malcolm Butler shows up. Ryan Tannehill shows up, especially in the red zone. The Tennessee Titans show up on Tuesday night in Nashville, a 42-16 win over the previously undefeated Buffalo Bills. Dan Hans is here, uh, along with the great Mark Sessler. We have a full ATN Tuesday show coming up right after this with a very special guest as well as Greg Rosenthal. But we're going to start here with Tuesday Night Football and some other late-breaking news that occurred during the game. Um, Mark, did you see this coming? Did you see the Titans rolling up a 40-burger on the Bills? Who look, They look like the team that had a COVID-19 nightmare with layoffs and closed facilities and long stretches without play. Uh, not the Titans. No, I, I didn't see it coming. I mean... I, I think that if you're someone that just observes football, how much do we know whether or not practice time is a key indicator of success? I mean, I'm not saying you never practice, but I, I think that the Bills having to split attention, uh, and I'm talking like deep staff members, players studying tape between the Titans and Chiefs might have been a bigger factor. But when the game started tonight, I mean, this game to me is about mistakes by Josh Allen that we haven't really seen up to this point. Um, they came home to roost tonight. The first interception was not on him. That was a deflected ball. Uh, the second one, though, was. And, and Ryan Tannehill, kind of another notch in the belt of saying for all of us, um, and I'm included in that, the question whether the offseason and into this season would have been a path that showed us that Ryan Tannehill last year was an aberration from the rest of his career. 
he's not going to reach those statistical heights, but he really fits in this offense. He is a tough minded quarterback and we see it with his runs tonight we see with him blasting for a first down that it didn't seal the game it just further sealed the game late late on his pinpoint passes their play action attack under arthur smith who probably um generated about 15 head coaching interviews during this game because it was on national tv because for some reason arthur smith is still a little under the radar and i think it's about the bills defense yeah the smith yeah the arthur smith name arthur smith I mean, is, it that feels, the, is that the future of offense? I don't know. No, it feels like um, like a paint company. I get that. Like it's not it's not something that sticks out. But the Bills' defense, you know, we I think we came into the year thinking the Titans' defense might be the part of that team that kind of lacks identity. Well, they, tonight they really they, they put forward a great performance and caused havoc for the Bills. Where the Bills' defense up the middle, Jonu Smith, other guys just being victimized. And and I'd be real concerned about Buffalo's defense because teams are going to look at this and say, we're going to attack them this way. Yeah, Buffalo played without three starters, Tredavious White, Matt Milano, Levi Wallace. But, you know, that is not individual to the Bills. You know, once you get this deep into a season, especially the 2020 season, everyone is missing – key guys and this has been a kind of an issue for them for, for the entire season that's been papered over by Josh Allen and a tremendous offense that the defense hadn't been close to their levels of last year and the year before that uh you thought maybe they were making progress on that front last week against the Raiders when they had a really nice second half but again they struggled here not so much when you look at the yardage because I think the Bills actually outgained Uh, the Titans in this game and the Titans, yeah, finished with 334 total yards, which is not a big number, but the Titans killed them in the red zone. The, they got six opportunities inside the bills, 20, they scored six touchdowns. And that is being, been the, um, the most devastating aspect of this Titans offense since Ryan Tannehill got to town. And got in the lineup, which is their ability not to settle for field goals or shoot themselves in the foot and have turnovers inside the 20. They score touchdowns and you win games that way, and they did it again. So, yeah, maybe Tannehill doesn't lead the league in all these fancy um, metrics that people love uh, this year. But he certainly looks every bit the dude that's going to make Lauren Tannehill up there in the bleachers proud and continue to lead the Titans. This was their most balanced effort of the season. And and it reminded you that they are a team to be reckoned with. I think they've kind of been under the radar because they didn't play in a dominant fashion earlier this season. And then the COVID stuff took over. This was a nice reminder for the Bills. I guess for me, it's like, yeah, they had been so stellar this season that it was a little jarring to see them look so vulnerable. But it was also super weird situation for them, too. So if people are going to start uh, pulling out their hair saying the bills are in deep trouble. Now I'm not going to go that far. They have some things to work on, but this was a weird, weird week. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, we have to look at a lot of these teams as a, a week to week proposition. This put both teams in a weird uh, prep scenario. The, I mean, this, they're like military operations. They want the regular season to look the same week after week. And you couldn't have thrown both out of their orbit more. Another person thrown out of their orbit. Um, and this, you know, this isn't something that we necessarily celebrate because we've had the pleasure of working with this individual in the past. But Josh Norman um, was oh on God. the was victimized by one of the more rough and tumble stiff arms, uh, courtesy uh. of Derrick Henry, that you will see um, in your lifetime as a football fan. Uh, but that kind of, you know, and they didn't really, I thought that's another thing about the Titans. 
most people said, here's what you know. Oh, you haven't been able to practice. You're just going to lean on the basics. Just lean on Derrick Henry and have him just plow for 300 yards in this game. And they came out basically saying, no, we're actually going to be a play-action pass team. And Derrick Henry really didn't have a big role in this until there were a couple key moments, but it wasn't a typical Derrick Henry game. So I give the Titans credit for um, you know creativity um, on the fly in a tough situation. But I think the Bills were in a tough situation too. And I, I kind of got on my nerves to listen to the broadcast hyping up Tennessee's heroic feats over uh, yeah. the Corona thing because look, a little like, bit on my radar too, right? There, because Bailey. from another angle, like, and I and I'm not saying that it wouldn't be human nature if we were in the same spot to want to go practice. And you're young, you're thinking you're not going to put us in a situation where we can't practice. I get the urge, but here's what happened. It happened, and there's people that are going to say that shouldn't matter. But to be celebrated for it is the wrong message right now because that put the league into a scenario that nearly melted the season, had this carried over for weeks and weeks. Right. And there's, I believe, an ongoing investigation by the union and the NFL trying to figure out if uh, the Titans violated major protocol. Uh, but, you know, the, Jay Feely's the same guy that posed a prom, in a prom picture holding a, like a, a 357 Magnum um, next to his daughter's prom date. So that's uh, amongst other pictures on the Internet. So, uh, you know, take it all with a grain of salt. Um, all right. Any other thoughts on that game, Mark? No, I think it's I, – I, I'm with you, though, that I don't I, – we have to learn to not in this weird season, but really any NFL season, I'm not suddenly down on the Bills or freaking out about the Bills. Let's see what happens a week from now. I think these are both really quality playoff teams with a lot to offer in a weird AFC. Yeah, the Bills uh, get the Chiefs at home next week. That's an awesome game. Uh, both teams coming off humbling losses. So one of those teams suddenly is going to be on a two-game losing streak. And uh, meanwhile, uh, today's winning football team gets the Texans. Uh, so you get a nice little uh, Houston matchup there with a chance to put some more diff- distance in the AFC s- South uh, from the reigning defending uh, division champion, the Houston Texans. Okay. This is where we plan to throw it to ourselves for the rest of the show. But then uh, some at some point in the second half of the Tuesday night game, the news came out. The New York Jets. Oh, the New York Jets, uh, who signed Le'Veon Bell to a big free agent deal last March. I remember sitting on my couch, refreshing repeatedly my browser uh, waiting for Le'Veon Bell to uh, make it official, and he did with a horrible like rap song, I believe, um, where he he was spitting verses about joining the Jets or, or something. Uh, that was the the peak of the Le'Veon Bell era. He struggled mightily uh, in season one with the Jets, setting an all time franchise low for yards per carry uh, with a minimum of two hundred attempts. Uh, started sparring with Adam Gase early and often and again recently with some of his social behavior, social media behavior. The Jets put him on the block after more shenanigans this weekend, and I guess the decision was made they weren't going to get anything back for him. The team releases Le'Veon Bell on Tuesday night. Here is a statement from General Manager Joe Douglas. After having conversations with Le'Veon and his agent and exploring potential trade options over the past couple of days, we have made the decision to release Le'Veon 
The Jets organization appreciates Le'Veon's efforts during his time here, and we know he worked hard to make significant contributions to this team. We believe this decision is in the best interest of both parties and wish him future success. Le'Veon Bell, 2019 to 2020, Jets legend. Yeah, I just, you know, I think if you, if you want to look at Joe Douglas as the, as the one figure that you will march on into the future with, the person that you believe in, I don't hate this move. I, I think that this was not going to get any better. Uh, we weren't going to suddenly get this great production out of Le'Veon Bell in a lost season for New York. There were some financials attached to this, some bonuses coming, some injury, an injury guarantee for next year where I think if you look at it from the book's standpoint, um, it's, it's the right move. Uh, the, the thing that sticks out for me that Joe Douglas has to solve and figure out, and probably not for much longer because Adam Gaze is gone, but this drumbeat of not getting along with your players, I, we're just not, this isn't 1961. I mean, the head coach is not afforded that kind of leverage to disenfranchise his star players and, 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 and you know, left and right, and while, while not growing the quarterback. So I think we know what the problem is. We don't need to, you know, harp on it. It's too easy and uncreative to kill the Jets at this point. Um, I think Joe Douglas made the right move from just where I sit. I think this thing was getting worse and worse, and you've got to find a coach um, in 2021 that comes in and can work with young players, develop them, um, understand who 20-year-olds and 21-year-olds are in this age today. And it's not just Adam Gase will go, you know, lose endless games by double digits and still have the faith of the locker room. So it's clear what they have to do, and I, I, I think they made the right move, even though it's highly disappointing for Jets fans. Yeah, Bell was a net minus as a player, but everything else... You know, and he was a net minus as a locker room guy uh, with some of the social media postings and the bowling night last year. Um, so he was kind of a knucklehead. But the Jets, from the very beginning, played this poorly as well. It was like a match made in hell. It was the Jets. Basically. Um, somehow that information leaking early on in the marriage that Adam Gase didn't want him there, that this was a Mike McCagnan move uh, before Joe Douglas, the GM, arrived. Somehow that gets out the door. It should have never leaked out of the building in the first place, poisoning that relationship. And then uh, Bell not playing well compounded everything. So, yeah, it's a bad look for the Jets, uh, but it's been a bad look for Bell, really, for several years now, dating back to him sitting out the season uh, in some type of proud measure to stand up for other running backs. I think well, Bell's in it for Lev Bell, ultimately. Exactly, and exactly. And let, right, and let's just be real about that if you're Lev Bell. Don't, don't give me this song and dance because he's, he has lowered the chances of the next star running back signing this kind of contract. I mean, unless it's a different type of human being. I just view this as like, you know, we all had in like sixth, seventh grade, maybe in high school or college, like you come off that relationship with the person that just captured your heart you're heartbroken, you're a mess, and you just immediately jump into the rebound relationship. And there are, like, there are some thrills in that because it's a different type of individual, new challenges, new thrills. But then suddenly you realize about uh, pretty quickly into that, about a month, that rebound relationships don't typically work. And this felt like one for <laughs> Lev Bell. And the Jets, you know, the problem was that Lev Bell was also, you know, I've had one of these, the girlfriend that's cost you way more money than you have, and you have a credit card to pay off after that relationship ends. So just avoid these situations. Let's right. home grow these players and start to draft running backs that can be uh, easy on the books and a thrill for fans to watch and who, players who want to be with the New York Jets. 
Right. And LaMichael P. Ryan, who's a draft pick and a guy that could be potentially uh, a playmaker for them. And he has been, he didn't even get a touch this past week. So this is going to open up playing time for him. That's all this season is for the jets as too many have been in recent years, uh, just trying to figure out what you have, who's part of the future. Cause there is no present for this organization right now. So Le'Veon Bell is a free agent. We'll be interested to see if, if, if he gets a nibble um, and ends up on a team this season, I guess it could go either way, but uh, we'll track that. All right, so there you go. Tuesday night football in the books. Le'Veon Bell is a jet in the books. And now we get to the rest of the Tuesday edition of the Around the NFL podcast with, yes, a very special guest. The Around the NFL podcast. We'll make you feel bad for not reading. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis coming to you from a room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler. Greg Rosenthal, you just heard the Tuesday night football recap between the Bills and Titans. And now we have a whole slew of madness to dig into uh, in the rest of the NFL sphere, including Monday night football. But it's not just the three of us today's show. We have a very special guest. A man's man got a mortgage. Drinks the brown stuff and rakes up his foliage. An ex-beat man turned my not state valet. Got super bowl snubs, so it's Connor or Mando today. He got super bowl snubs, so it's Connor or Mando today. All right. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Connor Orr, welcome back to the Around the NFL podcast. That just made me think of how mad I was that I wasn't sent to the Super Bowl that year. Like I haven't, I haven't. <laughs> That's I haven't, what you think? Yeah, I haven't like addressed that feeling in a long time, and now I'm just like now I'm working through it again. Hello, though, it's good to be <laughs> you know, here. I was. It's funny. I was. I I saw Bill Burr host SNL this weekend, and uh, I enjoyed it. And I wasn't really familiar with a lot of his stand-up work, so I've been watching one of his specials. Uh, the last couple nights, I keep falling asleep, but I have been enjoying them. And um, he talked about this this one situation he was in where he was actually physically um, sexually harassed by a woman uh, during it, some type of charity gig he was doing. And it was a pain that he kept with him for a long time. And then he learned that through meditation, and Bill Burr is kind of famous for being an angry guy, through meditation, he was able to let those slights and the things that have haunted him uh, disappear in a way and I and I thought to myself oh that must be nice that could never happen <laughs> yeah. for me Did you ever try meditation it's like you know I don't mean to put it down but during the pandemic I think we all kind of explored something along those lines and uh, you just sit there thinking like I'm so mad that this isn't working and you know and and it just makes the whole situation even more frustrating <laughs> Mark I have tried it I mean it's um I, the thing that doesn't work for me is sitting alone in a quiet room uh, because I just get too distracted by like trying to figure out like what a bird A is saying to bird B outside the window. But uh, if you use certain musical elements um, like HZ frequency, it can take you into very strange places. So I would re- recommend it to certain mm. types of people. I gave Call it a that. shot. I gave it a shot in college, like in a dark room, you know, trying lots of different things. I remember. Jeez. Handful that of doesn't college count. Experiments. That doesn't count if you wake up three days later. <laughs> no, I, I was sober, I think. 
Uh, Connor, of course, uh, there's so much. What a career Connor's had, and it continues to thrive into his 30s now, into his mid, edging into his late 30s at this point. I would, I would guess. Am I right? <laughs> um, 32. Oh, okay. You're still still baby face. <laughs> I always forget how much younger Connor is than us uh, because he's an old soul of sorts. But these days, he used to be with us here at NFL Media. Uh, he has since gone on to uh, SI.com, and uh, he's a staff writer for Sports Illustrated and the Monday Morning Quarterback, and you have a great podcast of your own. Get a plug-in right off the top, Connor, for the pod that you do over at SI. Oh, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, Jenny Vrentis, who's a wonderful senior writer at SI, and I uh, co-host the Weekside podcast, which we just got our own feed. We broke away from the uh, MMQB feed. We got our own mm. feed now, so you can search, find us, and uh, yeah, leave us a review. And I will say thank you to all the ATN fans who kind of like followed us there. We hear from a lot of them uh, by email and stuff, so you guys are awesome, so I really appreciate it. I, I like like doing what you can to kind of separate yourself from Albert Breer as much as possible. <laughs> like, seems like a good move. I mean, isn't Smart. he frequently on your show, Connor, Albert Breer? I feel like there's been a lot of cross-pollination with him. Albert's, uh, Albert is... Uh, Albert's like his, Albert. His fans just don't like us and then like our fan like it's amazing like every time like we did it a show together like all of albert's fans were just like who are these two other people talking on on the podcast i, mm. I came for albert so albert's got Chemistry. albert's got albert's albert people and then and then we're trying to find some jenny and connor people you know Al- albert bert another former nfl media dude and you know nice guy um i didn't realize there were like bert files out there that were you know would rage against anyone that would stand in in his shadow during a podcast episode for instance oh sure yeah no you have to uh it's it's one of those unseen pitfalls in the business um but he packs them in so uh it's good he's like um i don't know uh, who's like someone that uh you know like a musician that just keeps packing like tom jones you know he's got like a like a tom jones vibe you know <laughs> he's right. still selling out so you, this is, you're breaking news here. I don't think that the three of us understood that Albert Breer's fan base was this vibrant. <laughs> Apparently it is. All right. Now, and of course, Bert took the reins of Monday Morning Quarterback, that column, uh, when Peter King left. It's one of those good football reads every week. So check out everything over there, including, of course, Connor's stuff. Now, Connor, um, it's been a while. It's been a minute, as the kids say. Um, but... Uh, we're happy to have you sitting in for the whole show in the Chris Wessling chair. And we got a great show coming up. We are going to, um, since you're here, Connor, and you're a bit of a, a, a mystic on some level, a man who looks beyond the surface and tries to find truths hidden uh, in the ether, thought this might be a good episode to break out some conspiracy theories of the 2020 NFL season. Yeah. I like that. That's a nice match. Sometimes it's good to have a sensibility match for your topic with your and your guest, and that's what we've done today, I think. I I had one that um uh, a listener actually sent us and I it was so good that I almost called Mark when he sent it to me. Like uh it was just one of those things where like Mark used to have Mark and I used to read Libra by uh, Don DeLillo a lot about the Kennedy assassination. And I have not felt a conspiracy theory click in my mind like that until I, I uh, since mm, I read Libra. Good so it, was, it was that good. Mm, yeah. Okay. We got to hear this later. 
Excellent. So conspiracy theories coming up later, but first, let's dig on let's dig in on a Monday night football insta classic. He's trademarked his nickname, the Money Badger. Well, let's see. <laughs> From 50 for a Los Angeles victory. On the way, off the upright, and no good. And we're going to overtime. (laughs) (laughs) The Chargers are cursed. (laughs) Nothing will ever go right for them, (laughs) even if it feels like things are changing. It's still the same. Saints 30. Chargers 27, overtime. Chargers really, just like on Sunday night, had, with the Vikings, had control of this game. Seemed like the better team for the majority of the contest, uh, but they were unable to close things out. And and you heard it, Connor. We'll start there. I mean, the game goes into OT. The Saints get into field goal range. Lutz hits the kick, and then they get the stop near midfield uh, to seal the win. But I think Steve Levy of ESPN, the Monday Night Football team, when he announces moments before the kick that the kicker has trademarked Money Badger as, you know, he's looking to uh, benefit off that and make money off that, you knew the kick was not going to go through the uprights. Like, I mean, come on. And I think Steve knew that, too, and I think that's something that he needs to address with uh, with Anthony Lynn. But um, moving forward, I mean, not to spin this into, you know, a different segment already, but I believe that the Chargers and the Saints have played each other like every election year since like the 70s. And when the Chargers win, the Republican candidate wins the popular vote. And when the Saints win, um, the Democratic candidate wins the popular vote. So a lot was at stake last night that we weren't even thinking about. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Badger taking one for the team. He, he cut it a little close. <laughs> I mean, a little at, close. That was the other thing. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is why the, I, I believe the Chargers are the most pained franchise because the the truly uh, uh, the truly cursed teams. There's always that that little extra twist on it. It wasn't that he yanked it and missed it by 25 yards. It was that it looked like it was dead on. It looked like he they had won the game there. And then because I guess he didn't catch it just right, it trails off and smacks the upright. And it doesn't fall through uh, over the crossbar like it would for the Patriots in a playoff game. It falls into the end zone um, for a missed kick. So Michael Badgley, that sucks. Sorry, bro. Um, but Greg, what did you take away uh, from this game from, from a bigger picture? I know everyone's talking Justin, Her- Justin Herbert, who had a, a record-setting Monday Night Football performance. Uh, but what did you see from the Saints in this game? Well, that you know, as annoying as they are to watch offensively, I'm sure if you're a fan of them, that like as slow as Breeze looks, like physically he's slower too. He used to be better, like avoiding hits. And his arm's obviously not the same. And it's this high wire act on offense. It's sort of the triumph of, like, how much you can win mentally. Like, I'm amazed they're as good as they are despite his limitations and their limitations and some of the mistakes they've made on defense. Like, they're still in the top 10 in DVOA so far through five weeks. Like, they're finding ways to hit pockets of games where they score when they need to, which they did in the second half of this game. And I, I think there's a chance that they could improve 
um, you know, as the season goes along that they're getting like their bye week would look so different if they were going into it two and three. But now they're three and two and they feel like they're going to get a little healthier. They get Michael Thomas back, who, by the way, like they didn't even mention until the fourth quarter how he had gotten in a fight. And that's why he's suspended. You would think that would be a little bit bigger of a story. We all knew about it, but it's just like they're burying that. I, I'm amazed that they're like surviving despite this high wire act. They almost seem like kind of an old champion. Um, that's going to be too tough to knock out. Like, they're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to matter, but they're not the same old Saints. I mean, I, mean, I think and, we can say that. And, you know, last week against Detroit, they had to work them, their way out of a 14 nothing hole after being up in the middle of the night with corona testing and, and, the, and, the, and the drama and, and tension around that. They worked themselves out of a 20-3 and three hole. I think they're lucky to face a Chargers team that since 2019, to your point of this team being cursed, Dan, Three and thirteen in one score games over the That's last two seasons. Outrageous! It is outrageous, and it's I know insane. you know. Right, I know Anthony Lynn. You know he addressed that after the game. He said, "We've just got to finish these damn games." But this is an Anthony Lynn narrative and a problem to work his way out of. I, I would say though, because I mean, for the Chargers fans freaking out about that part of things still existing, if you don't come out of this game for the Chargers fans that are still out there with your heart beating over Justin Herbert, then you've lost the whole perspective here. I mean, they're going to be, their future is literally completely different than it was a month ago. It is completely different. And I felt like I was watching a grand, historic Saints team in their final chapter, you know, across the field from from a Chargers team that is just beginning a journey with a quarterback that made some throws last night, you know, People can call themselves quarterback gurus or whatever. I don't call myself that clearly, but you can just see when a dude has it, when the arm is so different. And I've I've had a career of celebrating the Gardner Minshews and all this other stuff. This is a completely different type of quarterback. And, I mean, it was just one of the more unbelievable rookie performances. It wasn't perfect, but the throws he made and put on tape, I would be— They Does it every week now. Right, and they ask, how, they ask how to, like, galvanize L.A. football specifically from the Chargers angle. Here's your answer. I think it was, you know, an eye-opening performance for some people that watch maybe the league more casually. Uh, but he's been this guy since he took over as the starter. And, again, I think it's the biggest, uh, most pleasant surprise of the 2020 season so far that Herbert was supposed to be this guy in, that was being kept um, – in uh, bubble wrap while Tarod Taylor went through the first month or so of the season. And then the absurd circumstances around Taylor um, being injured essentially by his own medical staff, opening the door for Herbert st- starting on like 20 minutes notice. And then since he's taken that job, he's lost all these games, uh, but he's also outplayed or played up to the level of a bunch of hall of fame level quarterbacks. I don't, nobody saw this coming. And I thought, I don't know if it was um uh, Riddick or Greasy, who made the point uh, um, after the go-ahead touchdown pass late in the fourth quarter, um, that his skill set is that he just has that ability that not all quarterbacks do to sense something, a big play afoot downfield. And there's no hesitation. And when a defense bites on a double move or, or a safety is drifting where he shouldn't be, this guy seems to have that ability to be a mad bomber. And it was such a difference, Connor, seeing his style of play against Drew Brees in this game. Brees still threw for 325 yards and moved the offense up and down the field when it when he needed to. But he's such a different quarterback than Herbert. 
Yeah, and it's weird. I mean, during the pre-draft process, uh, everybody said that he was going to add this vertical element to the Chargers offense that they certainly didn't have with the declining Rivers and, and didn't really have with uh, Tyrod Taylor. But it, it just felt immediately like one of those things that people say when they have nothing else to say about a quarterback. Um, you know, it's, oh, he's tall, so vertical. But um, it, it really did kind of come to fruition right away. And it, I was shocked at how good he looked. And you, you have to remember that he found out about his first start like literally seconds before the game and getting no reps during uh, during practice that week. So the fact that this guy is already at this level, you just hope that any sort of meddling owner or, you know, search firm doesn't come in and just torpedo the progress that they're making now and realize that they have something special here. Well, you hope that Chargers well, and how, don't and how ruin banged him. up they are too. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the thing. His pass protection has been so terrible. That's what's impressed me the most. His pocket presence is great. Last night was an abomination, and this is why sometimes you can um, separate the quarterback from their surroundings. Because if Herbert did nothing in this game, everyone would say, "Well, that's not his fault." But a great quarterback can overcome it. You know, even a great rookie quarterback. They they had 12 quarterback hits. They had to have about 25 hurries. They could not have played any worse up front to the point where I didn't totally kill Anthony Lynn for his conservative play calling. But at some point you have to notice you run 15 first down runs. You have 16 yards and they're trying to like protect Herbert. And I get that. But you're just much more productive when you're calling aggressive plays. And they waited until the Saints caught up. To, to be more aggressive. And that's why you do worry that somehow the, the Chargers voodoo or ownership or whatever's ruined the fact that they drafted a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees, blew that, drafted Phillip Rivers, didn't really get uh, as much as they want to out of that. And you don't want them to do it um, to Herbert either. Because right now, I, I don't blame Lynn. He has them playing hard. They're not just missing players. They're missing six pro bowlers. And four other starters. That's 10 starters. I mean, that is outrageous. And it's it's their best players, too. Many of their best players. So I do give them a little bit of a pass. But I also worry with Herbert, and especially the rest of this season, like, what are you going to do to protect him? Because he's in a tough spot. I would ask this. I mean, I, I get that Tyrod, you know, Anthony Lynn is the type of coach that he had it in his mind to start Tyrod Taylor, barring anything um, from an incredibly historic gaffe from a trainer that will be part of the Justin Herbert narrative forever. But did they, I, no preseason games, but did they get through all of their offseason and all of their training camp practices without an idea that Justin Herbert was this much better than Tyrod Taylor could ever be? Maybe you don't know until game time. I really think that with a no lot pre-season. of these players. It's like I know Jordan. No preseason. That's, that's a factor. I just, I wonder if there was any pushback from anyone in the coaching staff saying, this kid can do it. I mean, maybe. They found out when we found out in week one. It seems like such a unique sport in that I don't think you can tell that. I mean, you can tell from practice, but how much can you really tell? You know, it. I don't know. It's just such a different animal. It's like the Eagles are playing Jordan Mailata, you know, Henry Hodgson's favorite guy who's, you know, this raw guy who literally never played football before. And they, they just refused to ever play him because he looks so bad in practice. And they, they finally were forced to after three or four years. And then he's out there. And you know what? He's played pretty well the last two weeks. Like, he, you almost you don't know until you see it. Um, final thoughts for me on this game. The force feeding of Taysom Hill was baffling to me. I know that's something that Sean Payton um, feels strongly about. So I assume it's not going to change. And I know he scored on that option. 
uh, late in the game. But when Drew Brees started playing well, it was just seemed strange to me that he kept on putting Hill in the mix. And for most of the game, it was not working. You wonder if that's just going to be they're going to keep doing it until he gets back to being what he was to the offense uh, a year ago or they're going to start de-emphasizing him. Um, Alvin Kamara, the catch down the sideline. Wow. He, he's the best all-around player in the league, I don't think. I think it's hard to deny that at this point at full health. And then my last thought was, you know, they scored 30 points of Saints. They didn't look good for stretches on offense. Drew Brees does look uh, like a lesser version of himself. But Michael Thomas is the best, most productive wide receiver in the league, and he's coming back after the bye. Uh, I think the Saints are going to continue to put up points, and maybe they are in the twilight and all this, but... I also could see them running off a lot of wins before b- between now and New Year's. I would, Dan, like, where are you, if we're allowed to know this information at this point, like for your pain ranking, not your pain rankings, but your your overall power rankings, where do the Saints like, sit? They're a confusing mm. team to put in, in a pecking order right now for me. Yeah, I have, to, I have to sit down and do that. They entered uh, week five, number 11. Um, so I think they're, they're probably going to, hang around the top 10. Um, yeah, they're kind of a hard team to figure out still, but that was a huge win. Those, those Taysom Hill plays, though, tell me, and they've said it for a while, they don't trust their regular offense, especially not with Michael Thomas, on key third downs. I mean, they're giving the ball to their fullback on third and one and then punting on fourth and one. They've been doing this since week one. I think it's just a sign of, like, when Drew Brees in third and nine, third and 11, third and eight, they're going short of the sticks, like, they're not confident in picking up those plays. So I know you're living. Are you living on Taysom Hill right now? Are you dying on Taysom Hill, Mark Sessler? Two no, fumbles I, this season already, but he did have that play. Uh, this is not. This is not the Taysom Hill experience that attracted me to him to begin with. I thought he was well used, um, and you know, a gadget player is a gadget player, and I, and that's probably what he is at this point. I, I'm not. I'm just not impressed with his usage. I am also not impressed also with. The fact that like it becomes this sort of plaything on Twitter to destroy the human being. I mean, we get that he's not looking good, but calm down, people. I mean, it's just like <laughs> if if 150 other sports writers have the same quip that you do, you might want to go back to the well and create something a little bit more original. I mean, it's just offensive to me. There's something else going on with this Taysom Hill. No, there stuff. isn't. You know <laughs> I can't put my finger on it, but the the vitriol toward him. Oh, you're right. There seems Why? to be a little something else at play. But Dan, like you've been against, you've been kind of anti Taysom Hill hype. I don't know anti, but like it's anti not, the idea that he was the future as they're starting. So there's a kernel yeah. of it in you, I would imagine. But you're you're not going on Twitter and you know taking shots at him. Why did that become a thing last night, Connor? I mean, are you? Am I am I being too fiery about this? <laughs> I think it's Sean Payton's fault and just this sort of lunacy of the off season where he was comping him to Steve Young and That's you know it. put the put the first round tender on and you know he had all the the supposed insiders writing these pieces about how yo a team's definitely going to trade a first round pick for him I, I even though like yeah. everyone else was probably sitting around in the NFL and being like what it, are, you, are you kidding? And uh, so I think he kind of built this all up on his own. I mean, you would, you're trading They've over-promised. This guy. Yeah, They've you over-promised and under-delivered. Yeah. And they paid him $21 million at quarterback in the same offseason that Dalton and Cam and Jameis didn't get, like, anything. So I, th- I think that's all playing into it. All right. Um, and, yes, the Saints hit their bye week now. Yeah, Michael Thomas punched his teammate. Who was it, Gardner Johnson? Yeah. Right. Um, and led to a suspension. I thought that was a little bit murky uh, just because high ankle sprain, he's so important to the offense. A bye week was coming up. 
it kind of made sense for him not to play this game anyway. I just uh. there's a conspiracy theory. Thomas threw the punch at Sean Payton's direct order. Um, to send a message. So, you know, there's a conspiracy. Greg always for you. plugged into the Underground Saints uh, Twitter uh, for what was So really that he could send a message. I love it. All right. Good stuff. Monday Night Football recap done. Tuesday Night Football recap done. Now let's do some conspiracy theories. Yes. Connor, you are a man. I mean, you once had a podcast with Mark Sessler, the Heat and Light podcast that delved into conspiracies. Uh, one of the conspiracies is how did that podcast last like three and a half episodes? We may not never know. Well, it's interesting you brought that up, Dan, because Mark and I have uh, gotten a hold of some interesting proprietary information uh, regarding some things happening beneath the surface in Antarctica, <laughs> and uh, we might need to uh, find a medium to broadcast that information. So I would just kind of keep an eye out for something in that regard. Mm. Yeah, right. I would file. I'd clarify that it's it's information that came to us. Um, I wouldn't say from a listener, but someone who had knowledge of the show. And there's a reason the show was um, essentially ended at one point that we can't get into, but it will be returning because the information that we've been given, it's not just, hey, this would be a fun episode and you can just take a little jog around town. This is information that must be shared with the public. All like, right. File this under, uh, I'll believe it when I hear it. <laughs> Election-altering information. <laughs> okay, guys, make sure you get it up before November 3rd. <laughs> Just trying to lo- light a little fire under you. It's been years. <laughs> that would be the best part is like on the 8th. Just be like, oh, sorry. You, you, probably, you guys probably should have known about this. <laughs> All right, here we go. Conspiracy theories of the 2020 NFL season. Uh, listeners should understand that we are by no means uh, putting this out there as truth. Rather, as things that we we see, feel, sense, uh, could be bubbling beneath the surface of reality or whatever people think reality is, quote unquote. Mm. All right, Connor, as today's guest in the Chris Wessling chair, why don't you get us going? All right, this is the one that uh, I really just got so fired up about when I heard the first time, and that is, uh, you know, I think I have a long history of inferring that the Manning family are sort of the shadowy power brokers of the NFL, Um, you know, dating back to um, even before, you know, Archie and, you know, like this has been going on for hundreds of years, but um, (laughs) I, I... a listener, a listener sent this in, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant, and it just all sort of clicked for me. And that was that Cam Newton was asked to take a dive for Peyton Manning, and so he could win his second Super Bowl and tie his brother Eli. And in exchange, he got the gig with the Patriots on the back end of his career to replace Tom Brady and win another five Super Bowls as a dynasty. Uh, mm. He knew that that wasn't sustainable with Dave Gettleman in Carolina, so he took the he took the dive. Um, and I would guess that the, the fumble that he didn't go for sort of serves as the Zapruder film of this entire um, right. is this entire thing. Yeah. We know that he he took a dive because he would not dive. Yes. When the chips were down. That's right. But yeah, when I heard that, I'm just like mm. I was like, "This is all, this is all clicking." Yeah, it's all making sense now. Yeah, Manning had was clearly compromised as a player uh, by that final season. The Denver defense carried him, and yes, you're right. It would have been a stain on his legacy if he throws three picks in a Super Bowl Fifty loss and then goes into the sunset. Uh, the goal here, I assume, even though Brady's subsequent 
success probably still renders this a conversation of Brady one, Manning two. At the time, it was seen as Peyton is the number one guy potentially now because he got that second ring in addition to all the glorious stats. That, I mean, th- there was wow. a lot riding on that game. My guess, too, is that Brady's uh, adopt- adaptation of a natural food diet uh, saved him from any sort of foul play that the Mannings were going to try to do then to sort of just <laughs> uh, eliminate him in any mm, sort of way. And, and a little more quickly. sure that Peyton, yeah. Um, so good for Tom. You know, I used to kind of make fun of him for the whole uh, natural food advice thing, but I think growing your own um, at this point is essential. So good but, for him. I mean, Connor, the other part of this, <laughs> mentioning that the Manning dynasty, this, these power brokers, almost a Rothschild-type scenario, <laughs> stretches hundreds of years back to well before Archie Manning, that's, that would mm. be notable if that's accurate. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it's one of those things where I, I know we don't have time to get into it, but, you know, you look at all these different things that happened in, in different wars and Axis powers, and it all lines up, so it, it all it all makes sense. <laughs> well, it's funny you threw that out, because one, one, of, one of mine is was connected to that, and it, it was connected to the Manning family. So maybe it's like we're hearing the same frequencies. Mine was more connected to, to the Giants of this year. Um <sighs> that they intentionally set up a impossible situation um, for Joe Judge, Daniel Jones, and everyone else just to burnish Eli Manning's legacy even more. They didn't do enough giving him that last start last year that pretty much the focus at some point of the entire organization became, let's just get Eli to the Hall of Fame. Let's try to convince the people out there that he was better than average. Um, And what could make people do that than going 0-16 this year with a special teams coach who's never been a, a head coach at any level. Greg, you got to uh, <laughs> meditate on this Eli Manning stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what, what else explains giving Gettleman, you know, another year? I mean, it's just, you know, it's tough to it is, they are They are a Tiffany franchise in the league, and I, if I'm a Giants fan, I'm scratching my head how I'm as bad as little brother the jets right now you know what's Um, great about the giants though is like no matter how bad you are um you get to like retire with the idea that you're incredible and like they just don't fire anybody they just offer you the chance to become like a a nebulous advisor like remember when they just like kind of fired tom coughlin but they were like you can still hang out and use the gym and um you know and and kevin gilbride they were just so desperate to replace him but they're like no he's retiring and you know he's going to become a super senior offensive coordinator and and yeah everything's going to be fine like it it would be a great place to work if you know every time you know i did something horrible like that they were like oh no connor's just he's being promoted that's that's all it no, is they, connor's been inside the belly of the beast like the other people might call that classy but you you see something for what it really is right. when it comes to the the giants here. they've been incredibly I mean, classy as they rack up the worst record in the nfl over the last four years <laughs> just all class in that find a all little right. evil in your bones i uh i'll go next all right so we have two browns fans on the show today connor some people don't know that Connors, you still a Browns fan? Or now that you're with the uh, speaking of Tiffany uh, establishment, Sports Illustrated, you know, which has always been the the magazine of great esteem. Are you not allowed to have a fan? We're not. We're not really allowed to have a Side. rooting interest. But I will say that um, we were walking around with my daughter the other day, and I went through every NFL team, and I said, "Do you want to be?" 
a Jets fan, a Giants fan, and she was just saying no, no, no. And then I said, well, what team do you want to like? And she said, I'm, I'm going to be a Pumpkins fan. I, I want to root for the Pumpkins. Mm. And so Pumpkinhead, and I was like, all right. Well, then it, it just sort of got me fired up, and I said, we're back into this. So let's <laughs> let's go. Let's get her a, let's get her a Baker Mayfield jersey, and uh, and let's let this rip. <laughs> I'm back in. That's how you got there. Um, all right, so here's my conspiracy theory around the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Baker Mayfield, 2019 season comes to an end. Six and ten. Mayfield played poorly. The Browns are a punchline once again. And Mayfield, he looked around and he looked at what was being written about him. He looked at his production. He looked at the Browns' track record. And he got on the phone with his agent. And he said to his agent, say yes to everything. (laughs) Any opportunity we have to make bank, the answer is yes. (laughs) I will not be doing regional banking ads in Central Texas like Johnny Football, which is true. When I was in Texas uh, this summer, Johnny Manziel, that's how he's making a living now for a Central Texas Regional Bank. (laughs) So I think Baker said to his agent, these are my prime earning years. Right now, I no longer believe them to be for the next 10, 15 years as a quarterback. Yes to everything. Yes to everything. Yes to everything. And now, with the Browns having a great start to their season at 4-1, and and Mayfield has been solid, he finds himself in a bit of a pickle. He's being stretched a little thin. He has... About 7,000 commercials lined up for the the next 10 years. And all of a sudden, now he might have a career that goes that long as well. My conspiracy theory was it was never his plan to juggle an advertising career at this level. He thought it was his new career, and now he needs Mm. to figure out how to maintain. Multitask. Come on, with two people, it'll be twice as fast. he's, He's, can I just say that I hate everything, and he's very funny. Like, he's... The the progressive commercials are funny. Uh, I think the bit works for me most of the time. Um, and the thing with covering the seats with the rain thing, like that was that was funny. Like I think he's good at it. You know, mm. well, it's I, the repetition. It's the repetition. You know what, forget Amy. But can we talk about this honeymoon scene? <laughs> I mean, this is this is a very Dan esque uh, line of topic topic here and in, in, in discussion, but. Oh please! He's if it really, was, if it was, really a, if it was another player, Mark, you would be on fire about the repetition of this progressive well, I've, advertising. I've, I feel like I already had this conversation a year ago when I completely acknowledged that these were they were annoying to me, but but it was the fact that they were on four channels at the same time. When doesn't we were it feel like football. it's ramped up though? I I. But I think these were made before he did his go silent act and all that stuff, anyways. And I think that what do you mean they were was, made this? They were made this offseason. What they did two years of uh, tapings. What well, what else is he doing on the ad front? I'm not well, tracking the, other ads that he's doing. He's got the Hulu. Um, but I think to Dan's point, ESPN and also. I, maybe this is a credit to him. There's a growing thought that he, you know, you thought like. Wow, he, you know, for an athlete, a good quarterback, he's a solid commercial actor. But I think there's like a transitioning happening where it's like, wow, for such a good commercial actor, he's a pretty solid quarterback. 
You know, that's just where like I'm a, a little bit of a change. Don't get upset, Mark. I'm not taking a shot. <laughs> no, I'm, they I, are good commercials. I'm not the really, problem I, is the repetition of them. I can't feel I, my I, fingers. I completely Please. with any com- commercials in general. <laughs> my kids don't even understand why commercials exist because they don't really watch normal television that much. They watch everything on demand. So, the whole concept of commercials need they need to stay fresh. And they, these progressive commercials are the opposite. But I, it's not my fault that Baker Mayfield has a personality, unlike some quarterbacks in the league that are getting no commercial work. There's, I mean, it's, he, has, he, he has a good sense of humor, and he's growing as a quarterback. I'll take it. I mean, you know, the, the other side of the coin was, why isn't Brandon Whedon on a commercial and also a terrible quarterback? This world is preferable. <laughs> All right. Sounds like everything is totally fine. You're up, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Such a damn thing to do. I'm going to focus on the one and only Jack Easterby. Yes. Okay. I want to point to an article that PFT, then this slipped off my radar, and I think it was because it was last week it was busy, October 5th, 2020. The headline A question emerges about Jack Easterby's NFL biography. I'm just going to read what they, their investigation. This is by Mike Florio. In March 2020, an executive with a team other than the Texans pointed out that Easterby's online bio contends that he served as assistant to the director of football operations in Jacksonville in 2004, his first NFL job. Today, when they took a fresh look at Easterby's bio, something had changed. The claim that he served as an assistant to the director of football operations had been removed. In its place, the online bio said that Easterby simply gained his first NFL experience in the summer of 2004 with the Jacksonville Jaguars, helping in football operations and public relations. They reached out to the Texans and said, why was this change made and when was it made? They said it was a meaningless oversight in a bio from an entry-level position in Jacksonville 16 years ago that had no bearing on our decision to hire him in his role that has bloomed. They said that the change had been made in 2019. But PFT initially noticed this in March 2020. So something is going on here. And I want to use that as a route that Easterby in general to me, okay, when he was with the Patriots, they were in quotes livid when character coach Jack Easterby joined the Texans. They were fired up that he left. There is an article from a 2018 Patriots.com article that says, you don't know Jack, colon, the most influential Patriot you've never heard of. And it goes on and on, listing all these people that call Jack their favorite player, on the, their favorite empl- employee on the Patriots, that he is someone that they've all gravitated to. He goes to the Texans, and I believe this man is someone who I would put at like a Don D- Draper, Dick Whitman type level. That <laughs> This is somebody with a completely <laughs> hidden, different past, who has no football experience at all, and is suddenly the general manager of the Houston Texans. I think in his world, he is someone that sees himself as a big circle person that must influence. He, is, he has been tagged as a master influencer who cozied up to Bill Belichick despite having completely different personalities. He is a pastor. He is a culture coach. He is a general manager. He creates these roles in thin air. He now sees himself as something of an Al Davis. He's a general manager. A coaching role will come next. I am telling you that this is something the NFL needs to look into. This guy has a hidden past. I want to get to the bottom of it, and I appreciate PFT doing some of the legwork there. Do you think it's like a like with Don Draper? Dick Whitman, what happened with Draper 
and Whitman, like if people knew the secret, it could ruin his career. Do you think that there's something truly um, career altering hidden away here? I think there is a there is a hidden past, and it's hidden for a reason. Um, it's not World War II based or World War One or some <laughs> sort of split identity. I like we already Maybe have Korea. we Desert already have Storm. evidence that he has altered his resume on the Texans team bio. That that's just a little seed. It's like where the investigation begins. Why? Why are we doing these things? Who was this person? Where did he grow up? How is he suddenly an NFL general manager weeks ahead of the trade deadline? I would be concerned. I can't think of a general manager with a more nefarious hidden backstory who rose to power as quickly from a non-football role as Jack Easterby has. If it were happening to my team, I would be very upset. He's going to run the coaching search. He's basically the head man in charge. There's a line that Draper says to Peggy when she's without giving away plot points, laid up in a hospital bed after a health situation, and it's her own secret shame. And Draper knows the secret, and he says he says to Peggy, just move forward. Move forward. Don't think about it. If you don't think about it and never look back, you won't believe how easy it is to make it feel like it never happened. I think that's probably where Easterby is, and now it's just on, is there, you know, a Peter Campbell type, someone lurking? Maybe it's Mark Sessler. Maybe you are the man to uncover Easterby and expose him. Do you guys ever get freaked out after these episodes? Like that someone's just going to kick in your door, you know? Like, <laughs> holy smokes, I'm feeling it right now. Well, give us bit. another one. Give us another one, Connor. Woo! All right. Um, this is a good one. Um, we are in danger. <laughs> Um, you know, living in the New Jersey, New York metropolitan area, I think uh, a lot of the phone calls to the fan uh, this week and last week and the week before that have been, you know, why is Adam Gase still around? Um, all these other coaches have been let go. Uh, I, this doesn't make any sense. And I think that the real reason that Adam Gaze is still uh, embedded with the New York Jets is not because of his coaching acumen, but because of his deep knowledge of British politics. And he is secretly feeding Woody Johnson, um, you know, intel information in his role as the ambassador um, to the United Kingdom. Uh, you know, maybe few people know this, but at Michigan State, Adam Gase was just deep into, like, just the minutiae of localized British politics, um, you know, how all this stuff goes. Whigs, Tories, Parliament, forget about it. I mean, this guy was all over the place. And, uh, you know, that was really something that he had to put down his passion for in order to pursue um, the more lucrative coaching field. But the Jets was sort of a marriage of those two things. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised mm. if, if they bring him back should Woody Johnson's ambassadorship continue uh, in the UK. Interesting. Hmm. Plus, I mean, you get the number one reason. overall pick if you keep Gase. I mean, you could add that to the conspiracy that they're not really trying to win. <laughs> I mean, there's really... There's that, that's no like other... a nice little bonus here. You get the you get the British intel, but oh, we might get a, you know, a, a franchise-changing pick um, if they continue on this path. There really is no other explanation for like how asleep at the wheel this team is. I don't have to tell you that, Dan. Like, and I, it's it's frustrating True. because while I have an ability to watch 
other games like you want the one game on the main tv if you don't have you know direct tv sunday ticket and you know the jets are always on and it's just it's yawn inducing and i don't have any fantasy players on this team and it's just like a it's just like a weight on my sunday like it's it's just sad television you know if you want to get there's one like um Secret fantasy star that no one knows about this year. It's Jamison Crowder, who goes seven for one twelve and a touchdown every week. The Jets score seven to ten points every week, so it, it gets lost <laughs> in the mix. Uh, but there's your one fantasy standout. Yeah, there's got to be something, Greg. I, I buy into that. Um, what's the point? Basically, you don't want to have a good record. Um, I, I, but also the idea of the UK amb- ambassadorship <laughs> playing a role. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say no. I mean, I, well, here's the other thing: is like, are, are we a hundred percent certain that he's not speaking of the Mannings and let's bring him back in here? That they aren't already advising Trevor Lawrence on how to avoid this team, like Peyton did a couple years ago. Like, I this mean, is- Peyton and Gase are like best friends, though. So that would that would be on the surface they are. I wonder well, let's con- if Peyton Manning's like. Ooh, I feel like you can connect yours here somehow. Uh, Peyton Manning's long-standing. Um, belief. Get out the red string. Aggressive belief in Adam Gase telling owner after owner that they need to hire Gase. I mean, this is this is on the record. Calling them up, calling up Stephen Ross, the Dolphins owner, calling up Woody Johnson. Does that would that should affect Peyton Manning's chances the of getting string. a football executive job? By the way, that should that should count uh, should. as if he was running the team himself. It's bad. Here's the red string. Cam Newton takes the dive, Super Bowl 50, allowing Peyton to go out on top. As a reward, Cam gets to have a great end of career with the Patriots uh, and get his career back on track. But the Patriots, they say, we need something else here. Peyton, call up the Jets. Belichick hates the Jets. Tell him to hire Gates. Ah. And then they get two for one. It's like, all right, if we're going to go through the mess of kicking Tom Brady out of town here to help you out with this Cam Newton situation so you can get your Super Bowl 50 love, uh, you're going to have to sweeten the pot for us. Why don't you give the Jets hell for another few years? Holy smokes. Get the red string out. I mean, I would I would say that we're probably just a couple steps removed from connecting Easterby to the Mannings, who was with the Chiefs, went to New England as part of this whole rigmarole, and is now destroying the Texans. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's a string of mysterious individuals linked together here. Jack Easterby is the fourth Manning brother. Uh, it was so obvious and how we didn't see that. I thought you were saying we're only a step away from losing our jobs um, at the NFL. <laughs> right. we're, at a time in the world where conspiracy theories I, are doing some damage in, in real-world fu- situations. <laughs> Solid it's point. funny that I have, I have another one uh, that's connected to Belichick and an ongoing uh, pandemic uh, health crisis that I'm actually not going to share for that exact reason. Anybody else have one? I have a quick one that is Patriots related, um, <laughs> and it is it's it's very quick. And I just I think this will be proven true in the next couple of weeks that AJ Green in Cincinnati has been told before the season, look, your job is to spend the first month plus of this NFL campaign looking like a gigantic mess. Uh, you've got a big salary. The Bengals are looking to move on, and they're a completely new team. You look like you don't fit. That's your job. We will direct deposit forty grand a week into your account on top of your <laughs> Bengals salary. And then at trade deadline, 
For a song, we the New England Patriots will acquire you. You will suddenly look like the all-pro, healthy, wide receiver that you are, and you will join Cam Newton in New England for what will be a celebratory AFC title win followed by a Super Bowl victory. Interesting. I felt like I I don't think I was the first person to point it out, but I, I sent out a video of A.J. Green after Joe Burrow airmailed a pass late in the first quarter against the Ravens that was intercepted by Marcus Peter. It went over Green's head, and then he just kind of scampered away in the opposite direction. And uh, that has like over half a million views, the video I sent. I felt like I was snitching on A.J. Green a little bit. Well, so uh, that, that video was like dis- that video was all over the place Sunday. And that's sort of where this where my thought of this mm. came up, because he looked like he simply was completely unplugged from the motherboard. Was that He's his not- last snap of the game, though? He did leave the game with an injury immediately afterwards. An injury. I'm just saying, was that the play? You know, was that the play he got hurt? Oh, on? please. Wait, are you saying is that a conspiracy, Greg? No, I'm just saying if we just if we went and just if we checked the the game log, if that was his last snap of the game, uh, you know, I'd give him a little bit of a break there. He's jogging off the second. field. I mean, Greg is also part of this entire Manning right. family chain. Come on now, scenario. <laughs> we we understand that too. <laughs> let's be fair. Let's be fair. To Your pro player leanings can only go so far. I mean, that man is not trying. I'm saying he, it's a fact that he left the game in the first half with, and didn't play another snap. It's not a fact that he actually is injured, That's though. A, sure. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think he's been on everybody's radar since week one. It's been a strange, strange uh, season, and now that feels like a smoking gun with Green, but been we'll see. Watch. Um, anybody else have a conspiracy theory to share? Say I got just a quick one for Mark, um, and I think that's something that maybe he believes as well, and that's just that Kevin Stefanski isn't a real person. He's, (laughs) uh, and this isn't like playing off of the insidery reports that you know he he's sort of the you know avatar for management. He's just a robot. I mean, I don't think anybody has had heard of Kevin Stefanski before this season. Um, (laughs) I think he was built in a laboratory at the University of Pennsylvania and uh, and he's come to be um, just sort of I think he's operated on the sidelines maybe by Bill Callahan um, and it just um, is programmed to make all the correct decisions which is why we're, we're just mm. rolling baby and I so mean, they, they, that would make the week one loss to Baltimore you do that on purpose so that it's not obvious that it's happening and then and then you just roll for the rest of the season there's some legs to that because normally after what happened in week one, like coaches of old would have already been fighting with with Cleveland media, which is a you know it can be a rather cantankerous crew on its own. And Stefanski just super even keeled during it. Um, I think that they're they want to be analytically driven. So probably when they created this robot, he was doused with analytical football analytical knowledge. I think they made it maybe a little bit too good looking for a head coach. You gotta you gotta <laughs> tone down his sort of tidy clean. Um, yeah hot 40-year-old guy thing if you mm-hmm. want this to be believable because, right, I think there's cracks in the surface. No doubt. I didn't I didn't want to share this because I, it was striking to me. The last league event before the pandemic was the scouting combine. And um, I saw him plugged in. There was a plug <laughs> coming out of his back when he was at the podium. <laughs> And was it strange to me? Did it did, were there ringing of alarm bells? Of course, but I didn't know sure. if there was a medical situation or you know if he had some type of thing going on. So I didn't bring it up on the podcast. I didn't even say it to you guys because uh, it felt almost like I was violating his privacy because I was mm. behind him when I saw the wire. But now 
you got to connect dots here. Get the red string out. Yeah, I think you do. And Dan, I would say if you if you see another human being being plugged in, next time I would break that news. Uh, I would come forward with that. Yeah, I sat on it, and maybe I shouldn't have. All right, productive show today. Productive show, Connor. You've said it all. You've done it all, and you're going to do a lot more because you're only 32. How about that? That's the biggest surprise of the 2020 season. Allegedly, Connor or just 32 years old. How's that feel? Uh, it's not bad. You know, uh, I rebounded. Um, I had like a, I had like a 48 year old bod for a little while. Like I was just kind of, your bod's been looking tighter on the gram. I've noticed that I've, I've been running a little bit, you know? Um, and so I think I've come to accept that like when I was 28, I felt like I was 45, but now I'm trying to feel more like I'm 32. So that's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, buddy, and uh, gra- glad to see that you are well, and uh, hope the family is as well. A yeah. growing family you have. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we got another one coming, and I'll uh, you know thanks for letting me sit in, Wes. If you're listening, love you, buddy, and uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Did not know, did I know another one was coming? Look at you. I don't know. No, I'm I, in his, I'm in, news to me as well. I'm in his future that. room right now. Uh, he's uh. You know, so right. Oh, that is exciting. Yeah. All right. So, Excellent news but, there. Uh, the Around the NFL podcast family getting bigger. Connor, thank you uh, for joining us. We'll be back on Thursday. Yes. Yeah, so no Thursday night football uh, mini pod, but we will have a full week six preview uh, for you to enjoy with a special guest sitting in the West chair for an entire episode on Thursday as well. So. Uh, a lot to look forward to here. Thank you once again, Connor. This is Dan Hansen signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman in absentia, Ricky Hollywood behind the virtual glass, and or are you kidding me? Until Thursday. Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com.com slash compatibility.